0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. You know, sometimes life life can get in the way. Uh, Sometimes life can be tough. Sometimes life is hard. Uh, Some days... You may not even want to roll out of bed or let your feet hit the floor. You just want to pull the covers up a little bit closer to your nose, roll over, and go back to sleep. There are moments like that when we live in this world. Now, why didn't Christian church we've said now for a while hey we want to help people come and find and follow Jesus but i want you to know that in this journey that we're on together of finding and following Jesus it's it's not a journey that is absent of messiness do you know that Uh, Finding and following Jesus, this constant uh, pathway that we're on, that we uh, come and that we celebrate every week, that we open up the Bible, that we uh, read God's Word to try and help us figure out how to do this well, It's, it's not a pathway that is void completely of being involved in the hard and the messy and the disappointing. In fact, sometimes... It's in those moments that that we need to ask really hard questions. That we begin to ask God hard questions about the story that we find ourselves in. And so this morning and over the next several weeks, I want you to join me in a story that's kind of messy. I want you to to join me in a story, uh, and this story is really for anybody who's... uh, had to go through something hard, that's had to go through something tough, that that really has had to try and deal with some bitterness in their own life, that has really had to try and deal with the messiness. This this story, if you have ever had to deal with any messiness in your life, this story is for you. This story is is for people who who in all honesty have looked to God and wondered why in the world the things that are happening in their life are happening the way they're happening. Who haven't seen a mighty vision from God. They haven't seen a a, a dresser suddenly burst into flames and God is there. This story is for people who haven't heard God audibly whisper in their ear, go do this. The story is for people who haven't seen God uh, do this, like one single solitary miracle that just fixes everything. The story that we're going to get into this morning and over the next several weeks is for is for people, maybe like you and I, who have had to go through some messiness, who have had to go through some feelings of bitterness. And who are, are looking at God and saying, God, how? Why? Where? Who? Who need God to help point the way to see the sunshine in the midst of the clouds? The story that we're going to tell is a story that is really about how God can bring about better even when we're bitter. That it's possible for God to walk with us in the messiness, to give us provision of people that we couldn't possibly imagine, and to set our feet on a path from bitter to better. And so if that is a story... For you. If this morning you walked in and, and you said, I, I'm bitter, I'm in the midst of messiness, I'm in the midst of, of tough times, I'm in the midst of circumstances that don't make sense to me, then you need to hang out here for the next several Sundays because you need this story. And if that's not you, and you're saying, no, my life is grand, there's nothing wrong, I, I can come freely and, and ha- have no feelings of bitterness, and there's, there's, there's no apprehension, then perhaps it is that God needs you here too, because uh, perhaps it is that He's going to find a way of using you to help someone else. That maybe you will be the answer to somebody else's prayer, and you will be used by God to help someone move from bitter to better. And this morning, we're going to walk along this story. We're going to walk along this path by looking at this woman. And this morning, her name is Naomi. And Naomi this morning is bitter. Because of some things that happen in her life. And we're gonna learn from Naomi this morning some uninhibited truths that she brings to the table. So if you're interested in that story, I'm gonna ask you to join me in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. That means it's in the beginning of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, I just want to encourage you to reach out and grab one of those Bibles. Open up God's Word with us. There's some really interesting things happening in Israel, actually. In fact, the text is going to tell us that uh, this is in the time of the judges. This is why judges and Ruth are are next to one another. You see, the time of the judges isn't exactly uh, a hall of fame for Israel, okay? It's not exactly the years that you look back on and go, oh yeah, those were good years. No, actually, if you read through the entire book of Judges, I mean, there is some serious messed up stuff happening, okay? I mean, it is some serious messed up stuff. Nobody is going, oh yeah, oh yeah, Israel is really doing well. No, I mean, like God is giving them the thumbs down, okay? I mean, this is bad times. They're ruled by some good judges, but most of them are bad, and almost all of Israel is in a time where they're absolutely disobedient to God. They're not being faithful. They're being totally unfaithful. In fact, Judges ends with the note of really how all of Judges has been. The end of Judges reads like this. In chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. They had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. Now you had to read between the lines a little bit. When it says that Israel had no king, what that means, from the biblical perspective, is that Israel had rejected God as their king. You see, God this whole time was supposed to be their king. He was supposed to be the one that they would follow anywhere. and, And they messed that up. They haven't been faithful. And so now you have this entire group of people that is doing whatever they want, whenever they want it. It's completely chaotic. And when you decide to go it on your own, you will find yourself very alone. And that's exactly where Israel finds themselves as we pick up in the book of Ruth. And it says that there's a famine in the land, okay? There's this famine that comes up. Now, some people believe that, that God is the one orchestrating the famine. Because if you go back into the, the rule books of, uh, of the Bible and, and you see what God was doing with Israel, He was saying to them, Hey, if you are faithful, then you're going to get all these wonderful things, and I'm going to give you land, and there's going to be blessing upon blessing. But if you don't, if you don't, I'm going to hold up the rain, I'm going to make sure that there's no more crops. And so some believe that, that God is orchestrating a famine to try and get Israel's attention. And this is where the book of Ruth begins. Look with me in verse one, would you? Here it is. In the days when the judges ruled. Oh, those weren't good days. In fact, they were bad days. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Bad news. Now, it's hard for us, isn't it, to kind of connect with this idea of a famine. I mean, most of us in this room haven't really experienced what it is like to be starving to death. To have no food. Right? When we get hungry, what do we do? We go to the pantry. I mean, sometimes the closest I can get to, uh, to a famine is when my son, on the way home after church, is like, Dad, I'm starving. Which means uh, I need to pull over and we need to get some Mickey D's or some Dairy Queen. Otherwise, there's going to be mutiny in the back seat. Right? Are you with me on this? Right? That's what we do. We're like, I'm starving. I, I, I better pull over. I need to get something to eat. But that's not what it was like for them. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to go to a foreign country where, where there are literally people who do not have enough food. I mean, sometimes maybe we see them on a, on a, on a, you know, a television screen and, and we see what it looks like when there are people who are malnourished and we, and we kind of look at that and we're sad, but, uh, but we haven't seen it, we've not experienced it. So emotionally, it's kind of distant from us. It says there's a famine in the land. And, and if you have ever gone to the Middle East... One time on my way over on a mission trip, we were heading to Nepal and we we stopped a couple of times in Qatar, which is right there in the Middle East. If you get there, it's like hot. And it doesn't matter what time of year it is. It is hot and it is dry. And really, literally, like you can stand on top of buildings and all you see is desert. It's sand. Can you imagine... Here you are, you're a family, you need food, and there is no food. There's no supermarket that you can go to, there's no pantry big enough, there's no McDonald's, there's no Dairy Queen. In fact, sometimes when people begin to starve, literally around the world, you know what they do? They begin to eat dirt. I was talking with a friend this week, and we were just talking about Um, various experiences we've had in other places in the world. And when people begin to get so hungry that they're starving in order to try and uh, calm their, their stomachs, they will literally eat rocks and dirt in order to try and do so. That's famine, gang. That's famine. And so when it says, hey... Look, there was in the time of the judges, we're in the Middle East, and there's a famine. That's bad news. It's really bad news. Now, now, as bad as that news is, I want to tell you that what comes next, even it's it's really even worse. It's actually unimaginable. Now, this is a Jewish family. Okay? We're gonna find out that they live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, okay? Isn't it a little ironic that here they are, they're in a famine, they have no bread, they have no food, and here they are from the place called house of bread. They got nothing. And the text is going to tell us that that they go to this awful place. They go to this place called Moab. No, that is not in Utah, okay? Okay? No, they go to this place called Moab. And if you're Jew, you don't go to Moab. You go anywhere but Moab. The text almost makes it sound like this was like a a, a trip from, you know, there was a great famine in the land in Hornick, and so we went to the land of Whiting or something. Or, or there wasn't enough food in the city of Whiting, and so we decided to go to Onewa. No, this, this is like serious. If you are a Jew, you avoid Moab at all costs. Why? Because there's a long history. There is a long history here. I want you to hear that they moved to Moab. Listen to this. So a man... From Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. What? Now now here's the deal. Why is Moab such a bad place? Why is it so shocking for us when we get to this verse uh, that Moab, that they went to Moab, why is this such a big deal? Here's why. Back into the book of Genesis in chapter 19, there's this crazy thing that happens with Lot in particular. You see, Lot has an incestuous relationship with his daughters, and Moab is the result of that. From that time on, Abraham's side that becomes all the nation of Israel, uh, they have a great deal of... uh, Conflict, you might say. They have a great deal with conflict with anybody from Lot's side of things. There's a great deal of conflict. And, and it's unlike any rivalry that we can really imagine. In Numbers chapter 22, the king of Moab at the time uh, gathers together some witches and actually publicly casts a spell of curse upon Israel. Can you imagine that? I mean, we think our politics are bad, right? Now, the king of Moab publicly has an assembly to curse Israel. This is not good news. In chapter 25 of Numbers, we, we, we find out Uh, that there's some men in Israel that decide that they want to go have a good time with the women of Moab, but let's just say that what happens in Moab doesn't stay in Moab. It's bad. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, uh, in the instructions that Moses gives to the people before they're going to enter the, the land of the promise and blessing that God has given them, he gives them instruction that when they gather together and worship together, that the Moabites are not to be in their midst. This is pretty serious. Are you grasping why it's so weird? It's so shocking uh, that when there's a famine in the land, that these people decide to pick up and go to Moab. It's crazy. Now you'd think that that's enough, right? You'd think like... uh, Well, it's going to turn on. I mean, things are going to get better. They went to Moab, but surely everything's going to be okay. But it's not okay. Actually, have you heard this phrase before? Sometimes when it rains, it pours. You've heard it too. I want you to hear that sometimes when it rains, it pours. And it did for this family. Look at verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. And it seems like maybe they lived there a little while. Pick up in verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Uh Uh-oh. That's not good. You see, if you were a woman in this time period, you didn't work on your own. You didn't have an identity outside of that of your husband. You had no support system outside of the one that was given to you by your husband. Now, we're thinking at this point that everything's going to be okay because after all, Naomi has her two sons. Uh, the, the idea was that if a husband died, that the sons would take care of mom. Okay, all right, Mom, we're going to take care of you. Maybe things are going to be okay. Maybe they're looking up. Okay. But then something else happens. You see, if you're Naomi, you want want your sons to marry good Jewish boys, good good Jewish girls, good Jewish women. You want to have... Many little Jewish babies running around. And especially you want little, little Jewish boys because the idea was that when you had boys, they could carry the family name on. That they would have this and they could carry it on. It would be okay. And, and yet something really crazy happens. Her two good Jewish boys don't marry good Jewish girls. It says in the text that they, they find Moabite women. Wait a minute. Aren't the Moabites the enemy? Aren't they the bad people? Aren't they the ones that God told us not to go hang out with? Yep, those same ones. Can you imagine how Naomi feels When here come her sons with Moabite women on their arms. This is not a good day. Listen to the text. Naomi's husband died and she's left with two sons. And they married Moabite women. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. That is not Oprah, by the way. Orpah and the other Ruth. They lived there a long time. It says, after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Killian die. And Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. When it rains, it pours, doesn't it? And here is Naomi all of her provision is gone. All of her protection is gone. And maybe if she were still uh, back in the land of Judah in Bethlehem, maybe things would still be okay because maybe people would, uh, would still provide for her, but she's not there anymore. She's in a foreign land. Uh, she doesn't know anybody. Uh, all she's left with are two Moabites. Things aren't well. Have you ever ever been in a situation in life where you find yourself completely bitter? Now maybe because you're good church people, you've not expressed any of this outside of of maybe a, a personal conversation with God, but have you ever actually begun to think like God doesn't like you anymore? Have you ever thought maybe to yourself in a prayer, uh, because you, you believe in God, because uh, you're trying to reconcile a good God with, with everything else that's going on in your world and these th- two things don't seem uh, to gel with one another, and, you, and you maybe, maybe you even look at God and you go, do you hate me? God, you must hate me. Look at all the things that are happening in my... You, I have no other conclusion other than you hate me. That's where Naomi is. In fact, as we walk through chapter 1, three or four times, she begins to say, I am in this situation, uh, not because some bad stuff has happened to me, uh, not because God's allowed it to happen, no, she says, God has done this to me. In other words, if you read between the lines, she's saying, God hates me. God doesn't like me. God is doing this to me. Look at verse 13. Notice what she says. She's talking to Ruth at the time, but I want you to notice the very last line of verse 13. It says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. It's not just that the God has allowed this to happen. No, she is saying, God's hand is doing this to me. Now finally, she ends up going home, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want you to hear what happens to her. She goes home, and there's some women in the community there at Bethlehem, and, and their question to her is, can this be Naomi? Now here's what they're asking. Here's really what they're saying. The years in Moab haven't been good to you, have they? You don't look so hot. You've kind of aged. Can that be Naomi? And as she unfolds this, I want you to hear what she says. She says, Don't call me Naomi. Do you know why? You see, in the old days, in the Bible, when you would name a person, it was, often, it was often to name them in representation of really who they were, their identity. Isaac means laughter. Why? Because his mom laughed when she was told that she was going to have a baby. That, that was kind of an identifier of who he was. And Naomi, Naomi means sweet or pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi. She goes down to the DMV, right? She says uh, uh, she goes down to the courthouse and says, I need a new name. Don't call me Naomi anymore. My name, my identity, my existence is not sweet. It is not pleasant. Instead, instead she says, call me Mara. Why? Because Mara means bitter. Call me Mara. My life is bitter. And I want you to to see, I want you to feel why she says, call me Mara. She says, call me Mara, verse 20, because the Lord has made my life bitter. God has done this to me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. No, no. but as hurt as she is, as many circumstances as she's had to go through, I I desperately need you to hear that there's some things that Naomi teaches us. You see, even for the people of God, even for people of faith, even for Christians like you and me, for you and me, Don't be surprised when there are moments in our life that are filled with bitterness. Don't be surprised when there are moments in your life, even as a Christian, that get tough, that are hard, that are difficult. Don't be surprised when life gets bitter. Here's Naomi. She's Not at home, she's lost her land, she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, all she's got left are in-laws, oh and by the way, they produce no sons. Her life is shrouded in bitterness. Can I be honest? I thought of some of you this week. We have some widows in the room. We have some people that in the last year or two or three years, you've lost someone. And it feels bitter. You wanted more time. You wanted more opportunities to say goodbye. You wanted more memories. And right now, if you're honest, it feels a little bitter. Maybe in the last year, you've lost friends. Maybe there were words that were spoken in those friendships, things that they knew about you that they then used against you. And those friendships have have dwindled, they they have been broken. And they have dissolved almost into nothing. And there there is for you uh, just just a hole where that relationship once was. And you long for that relationship. You want it, but there is a sense right now in your life where there's just a hole of great bitterness. And you may have even said, God, do you hate me? You must. I thought of my brother-in-law. His name's Carson. I've mentioned him before. Oh, I know, I know. It's been three, almost four years since Julie died. But there's still some feelings of bitter. You see, when her time was coming to an end and we all knew it, there she was in the hospital and she asked if she could go to home hospice. So they put her in an ambulance and they drove her up to the mountain where they they live so that she could live out her last days at her house with her family surrounding her in in a comfortable environment. When she went into the ambulance... She was talking, she was comprehending. When she got out of the ambulance, she didn't say a word. She couldn't. The one word that she could say from that time until the day that she died was no. There were no more words. I thought of Carson because I've heard him say many times, that's not fair. I was supposed to be able to say goodbye. We were supposed to be able to gather. We were supposed to be able to have words. We were supposed to be able to say I love you. We were supposed to be able to communicate a whole bunch of things that we didn't get to communicate. Have you been there? Have you been in bitter... Because that's where Naomi is. And sometimes, even as Christians, we have to recognize that if we're going to live in this world, sometimes life is going to hand out bitter. But can I suggest to you that God doesn't punish Naomi for her words. Because she's still talking to God. I ran into this as I was reading this week and I want to share it with you. Because I think Christians don't handle bitter very well. It says this, Christians are great pretenders. We tell ourselves it's not supposed to be this way for Christians, and so we resort to a cover up. For the sake of the gospel, we don't want to let on, especially in front of a watching world, that things aren't working out so well. We try to smooth things over for God, send in our best damage control team to deal with the embarrassing questions and polish polish up God's reputation. We feel it's our Christian duty to look our best. We can't afford to show our flaws. Let's give the world and each other the airbrushed version of ourselves as proof that the Christian life really works. But God won't and doesn't participate in this kind of masquerade. If the Bibles tell us anything, it is that this world is fraught with peril and hardship. Eugene Peterson is candid enough to tell us the truth. No literature is more realistic and honest in facing the hard facts of life than the Bible. At no time is there the faintest suggestion that the life of faith exempts us from difficulty. On every page of the Bible, there is recognition that faith encounters trouble. I wonder if some of you are right now where... Naomi is. And if you're not, may I make a suggestion to you? God does not abandon Naomi. And so I'm going to ask you not to abandon those that you recognize in your life that are Naomi's right now. Would you let them vent the way God allows Naomi to vent to him? Would we have a view of God that is so big that He can handle our pain? I'm not suggesting that we go around making bitterness a badge of honor. I am suggesting that perhaps we're willing to tell the truth about how we feel and recognize that God is big enough to handle our bitterness. That if we want to get on a pathway from bitter to better, that it begins with our confession to God and how we feel. Naomi teaches us something else. She teaches us that sometimes we'll end up in a place that we never intended to be. Have you ever been at a place in life where you go, this isn't supposed to be happening. I didn't sign up for this. Have you ever been there? Naomi didn't sign up for this. When she got married to a limelech, everything was supposed to go really well, but it hasn't. When she had sons, that was good, but now they're all dead. Have you ever been in a place where you've gone, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for my kid to start rebelling. I didn't sign up for a, a job loss. I didn't sign up for, uh, for someone who, who has decided to abandon me. December 26th. What's December 26th? It's the day after Christmas. Jolynn and I have a, a dear friend December 26th, her husband decides that he doesn't love her anymore. On December 26th, he takes all of his things and he moves out. He abandons her. On December 26th, he waits until they're gone on a little outing and then he moves all of his things out of the house. And as we have been trying to get a hold of that situation and help her, all that we can think of is that where she's at right now, she's saying, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for my husband to abandon me. I didn't sign up to have to try and figure out how I'm going to live with three children by myself. I didn't sign up for that. And yet, there may be moments in your life just because we happen to live in this world where we have to try and reconcile the God that we serve with the fact that some things in life happen. And we might find ourselves standing in a position we never thought imaginable. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be honest with God about how you feel. And I'm going to ask you to trust that God can provide for you, that He can set you on a path from your bitterness to betterness. And then He may do it through people that you would never imagine. You see, we haven't even mentioned Ruth, and the name of the book that we're going to be walking through in the next several weeks is Ruth. She's one of the daughters-in-law, and she's a Moabite. And I hope that you will come back, and you will walk with me through the book of Ruth to see how God uses the most unlikely people to set our feet from bitter to better, So will you see the Naomi's in your world? And will you not leave them? And will you allow God to move you from bitter to better? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we want to serve you. We want to open our lives to you. We we don't want to be fake. We want to be real. We know that following You and finding You means that we have to do it through some messiness. And and so, Lord, I pray that we would not put on plastic smiles and and play play a game of charades. I pray that we're not masking. I pray that we're honest and open and real, not only with You, but with others. And so, Lord, if we've come this morning, I I pray that we could be honest with You We could be open with you, and Lord, that 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 sort of confession would lead us to a place where we become better. And Lord, I pray that we would be open to anything, any means, any people that you would use to help us see who you are. Lord, set our feet on the pathway to better, even though right now all we see is bitter. Lord, use us to be those people. Help us to walk this path faithfully. Change our name. Change our name, Lord God. Help us not to be bitter. Help us to be better. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.